I want you guys to know, as we start this morning, that there are most weeks I pray for you by name. I think about you guys in, in preparation for church, in preparation for sermons. I, I pray for you guys. I pray for you guys by name. I think about you. And um, in preparation for this sermon today, I found myself making a wish. Isn't that sweet? I made a wish for you this week. I like threw a coin in a well. I didn't actually do that. But I, I, I do. I actually have a, a wish for you this week when it comes to this sermon topic this morning. And the wish is greatness. I wish for greatness in your life. And let me explain because here's the thing. I'm not just wishing that you have a great life. You know, see you later. Have a great life. You know, like, no, it's more than that. I wish... And that's the word greatness, that at the end of your life, there's just something about your life that others look back on and they see greatness, that that there isn't, that our lives, your lives and mine go above the norm. And not that maybe there's a book written about us, although that might be, you know, like a telling tale of greatness, but at least the people that that, that are around us, that love us, that are closest to us, remember back on us, not just with fondness and love and respect, but there's a sense of like greatness to our lives. And let me, let me be a little bit more specific. I think, I think that what I'm, I'm hinting at is I, want, I, will, I, I pray that you'll have a story that breaks norms that kind of breaks the usual, you know, this is what people do in life and you did the same and it just kind of blends in with the rest. But there would be some time in your life, at least a couple times or time, a period in your life at least where you went above and beyond, you did something different. That when people weren't showing up, you showed up. That when, when it was normal for People to do want, do it, do something once, you did it twice, you know, or when, when everybody else quit, you stayed the course. That's the type of greatness that I'm wishing and praying for you this week. That's what I want to start with this morning is I, I pray and I hope that your life at the end of your life, that, that you are able to look back and the people, and there's a, there's a greatness to it. A fame, and I don't mean famous, but there's, a, there's something about it that makes it stand out. I wish that for every single one of us. So today's a pep talk. I do this every once in a while, probably once a quarter. It's like, no, this sermon's going to be a pep talk. Is anybody in need of a pep talk this morning? Hey, honesty in church, we can do this. I like that. This is a pep talk today, because today, here's what's great about a, a sermon about greatness today. You don't have to feel great coming to church this morning to to hear this sermon on greatness. Can we just get an amen for that? You don't have to be great. You don't have to feel great this morning. You're like, oh man, he's going to talk about greatness. I feel horrible this week. Perfect. I'm so glad you came to church because you don't have to feel great right now to get something out of today. In fact, today is almost in a sense written for you Uh, because just here's what we're, here's what we're going to say. Go ahead and put that first slide up. This, I believe this. Not feeling great does not disqualify you from greatness. That's what I believe. Just because you don't feel great right now 
doesn't mean that you're disqualified from greatness in the future. In fact, I would go, go as far to say the road to greatness, the greatness that I'm, I'm hoping and praying for for us, rarely, nay, ever, maybe even, it, 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 like it, it, it never, ever feels great during the time a lot of times. I'm not saying this clearly, but you understand, right? Like, like, like the road to great rarely, if ever, feels great while you're in it, right? And therefore, not feeling great doesn't disqualify you from greatness. It doesn't qualify you. We'll get there in a second. It's like, in order to have a great life, you have to not feel great for a long time. Eh, I wouldn't go that far. But I think it's good to know, and I wish I'd known this. I wish I'd known this when I was your age. That not feeling great does not disqualify you from greatness. It took me a long time to learn that. And it feels, because here's the deal, it feels weird. It feels like this dissonance. Like, if I want, if, if my life's heading towards greatness, why does this feel so crappy? <laughs> you know? And the reality is, is not feeling great does not disqualify us from greatness. And I just want, I just want to let that kind of set in this morning, because some of us don't feel great, Right? Some of you told me already today, you don't feel great. (laughs) And I'm glad you're here. We're in this series called Deep Cuts. And we are opening up the Old Testament. And we're looking beyond the Davids and the Abrahams and the Moseses. Those would be like the greatest hits of the Old Testament. Like the, the people that like, even if you didn't grow up in church, maybe you know a little bit about them, right? And we're digging deeper into some of those, some of those big, great hits have, inside their stories, they have characters like Jethro and Hagar. And uh, who was last week? What did we study last week? I really should know this. Abigail. Abigail, thank you. We're looking at these, these characters that have, like, like at first glance, it, like, in fact, last week we were talking about Abigail, and somebody came up to me and was like, I just read the story, of, I'm reading through the story of David, and David's the greatest hits guy. Abigail's a deep cuts. Well, hold on. Deep cuts. You know what I mean by deep cuts? When you listen to an album, it's not, it's not the song that you recognize, right? It's the song on the back side of the album. It's a song that maybe most people haven't heard of. I know a friend I have a friend who uh, has seen Dave Matthews' band 56 times. She goes and listens for different songs than the person who has like, oh yeah, Dave Matthews' band, I'm going to pick up you know, tickets to Red Rocks and go. She's not, you know, like we're talking about the difference between a casual fan and a true fan. And when you get into the deep cuts of the, new, of the Old Testament, the beautiful thing is, is once you get to understand the word of God well, it kind of gets in your heart. And then when hard times come, those, you remember those deep cuts, and they're meaningful. And that's the idea, is, like, is to get us beyond the Davids, beyond the Moseses, and deeper into the Old Testament. It's called deep cuts. Today is one of my favorite deep cuts. Chris and I were talking about it yesterday, that, that this character in particular is one of our, uh, our all-time favorites. And, 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 and it was fun to, to, I don't think I've ever preached on her before. And it was fun to dig into the story because at first glance, I'm like, why do I like this character so much? Why am I drawn to her? And I'll get a chance to explain that today. Her name's Hannah. Her name's Hannah. And some of you might be familiar with Hannah. If, if you're not, it's all right. I'll, I'll bring you up to speed. But before we dive into Hannah, Hannah is a palindrome, right? 
A palindrome. Thank you for asking. Uh, what? A palindrome is a word or a phrase that reads the same backwards as forwards. So, madam or nurses run. If you nurses run, nurses run, nurses run. I've got a couple nurses here. And if you say that backwards, that's a palindrome. Okay, so, so today's sermon is brought to you by a palindrome, Hannah. So a couple palindrome jokes, ready? My friend asked me, what is a palindrome? I said, idiot, no it's not. Wait for it. Wait. What? Yeah, anyway, next, next joke. I, I wrote a book, and I, I wrote the whole thing as a palindrome. And I gave it to my editor, and my editor said the first half was brilliant, but the second half made no sense. It's a palindrome. It's a palindrome joke. All right, so it's one more, one more. A daughter went to her dad and said, Dad, give me an example of a palindrome. And the dad said, Mom. And the girl said, Ugh. So she goes to her mom and she's like, See where it's going? See where it's going? Okay, I got that one. Mom, what's an example of a palindrome? Dad, oh, why won't these people just tell me what a palindrome is? Is it palindrome? Hannah's a palindrome. I got that one. Where was I? What were we talking about? Hannah, Hannah. So Hannah, here's the thing. Hannah's, what, what I want us to see from Hannah's story, and, and go ahead and grab, there's Bibles underneath your, your seats. Use your phone, use your, your Bible, whatever. If you brought a Bible, we're in the book of First Samuel. And when somebody with one of the Bibles from here, from church, gets to that uh, chapter of 1 Samuel, um, go ahead and shout out the number of the page that's on for me. Just one. 123. 1 Samuel starts in 123 in those Bibles. So, because um, we're going to read a lot. I'm not going to put the verses on the screen, so make sure that you got something to read if you can. Um, but here's the deal. Um, in reading these, this chapter, a couple chapters today, I, I, I really think that Hannah has a lot to speak to us about a great life. So today I present to you Hannah's Guide to a Great Life. And there's going to be three principles that follow with it. And we'll, I'll, I'll outline those as we read. Just so you guys know a little bit of the context, a little bit of the background. Hannah's story, so, so you guys know David, or you probably heard, remember King David. Hannah's story uh, like, um, intersects with David's stories. It actually pre, is, it's like a precursor to David's story. David, David kills Goliath in the book of 1 Samuel. He begets anointed king. I think he becomes king at the end of 1 Samuel. So th- this book is primarily about David, but, but we're going to learn about Samuel and Hannah to start because it's important to know. In this time during this time of Israel's, this is not a, a, it's not a great time in Israel's history. They're not being good people. They're, they're, I remember talking about this a couple weeks ago, how Israel has this cycle every generation or so of like the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and then all of a sudden like the Lord let them be taken over by the Philistines or whatever, right? There's that, that there's this, this, and then they call out to the Lord and the Lord raises up somebody to deliver them. There's that cycle within the Old Testament. Israel, like us, we, you know, like us, Israel it has a way of, of just falling behind, backsliding, 
forgetting God and going and living their lives without him. They're in one of those times. They're kind of in a valley where you'll see in the story, there are not many faithful. And among the non-faithful, Hannah shines. Let's pick it up. Verse one, there was a man, a certain man from Ramathame, a Zufite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jerohom. He had two wives. One was called Hannah, and the other one was Peniah, or uh, uh, Penanai. No, Penanay, Penanay. Penanay had no children, but Hannah had none. Or Penanay had children, but Hannah had none. So there's the setup. There's a guy, he's got two wives, which was normal back then, not normal now. One wife can have children and Hannah cannot. Catch this phrase, this phrase, you'll see this phrase a couple times, year after year. So what we're about to read is not just like one, and in that verse before, that's, that's, the, that's the angst, right? That's the, what's happening here is one wife can have child, child, one woman can have children and the other can't and Hannah can't. And that's her, that's her struggle. That's her pain. That's what, what, that's what ails her most in life. And you'll see there's other things going for her in life. But just this idea that she can't have children. And if you've ever been in that position, you know it's hard. We've walked through with a lot of families that have dealt with infertility. Uh, dealt with, with just the question, can we have kids? And it's, it's a difficult road. And Hannah is in, right in the middle of that road. And it's not, we learn in verse 3, these first three words in verse 3, it's not a short road. It's a year after year road. This man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hopfi, Hop, I'm sorry, guys, I should have practiced the, the Old Testament names a little bit more this week, but I didn't. I took my kids hunting and said, Hopni and Phineas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Now, here's a pause. The reason that, the, that probably Samuel wrote this and included that is because those guys are the priests right now, and you're gonna, they're going to they're gonna play a role in the next chapters. Just, just so you know, we don't need to get into the details right now, they're not good priests. Remember I said there are not many faithful in Israel right now? Even the priests were not faithful at this time. So this, this man goes up to worship to bring sacrifice to the Lord Almighty year after year, which means he's a faithful follower of Yahweh. He's, he's keeping the festivals. He's keeping the sacrifices, right? Verse four, whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of meat to his wife, Penina, Penina, and to all her sons and daughters, meaning she had like, you know, like this whole family, right? But to Hannah, he gave double portion because he loved her and he wanted to cheer up. Then the Lord had, but the Lord had closed her womb because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her, which is something we just can't wrap our heads around. I can't imagine one woman making fun of another woman right now who can't have a baby, right? 
But, but, but there's other things in our culture, and maybe it's just a little bit more uh, subdued or subversive that, that we compare to one another. Well, you know, I got all these cars. Or, you know, we just have all this stuff going on. We got, look at our travel schedule. There's always something that we can use to compare one another and kind of, you know, throw jabs at one another. This woman chose to um, use, use her, uh, her children to do that, which is sad. Again, verse 7, this went on what? Year after year, whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Now, the would not eat is, is important this, in this idea of like the double portion. What's interesting, if you, if you read through the Old Testament and you start to study the sacrifices, I was ta- who was I talking to? It was a couple years ago, someone here that I was talking to about the sacrificial system. And we, it sacrifices weird to us. It's something we don't do. But if you read the sacrifices, there's very little of the sacrifice that actually goes to waste when you sacrifice it. A lot of times you bring that sacrifice to the Lord and then the Lord's like, okay, sweet. Thank you for bringing that sacrifice to me. Have a party on me. That meat you just brought to me, I'm going to take a little bit of it, some of like the prime cuts, but the rest of it, have a party with your family. So these, when they went up to Shiloh to celebrate the festivals, these were, this was a celebration. This was supposed to be a happy occasion. This is like if you were a Jewish kid, you'd be like, dude, we're going to Shiloh next week. This, that's going to be awesome. We're going to travel. We get to get out of the house. We'll get to, there's going to be a bunch of kids running around, right? This is, it's a festival. And Hannah, year after year, the text makes it very clear to us, is not able to enjoy that festival because there's something missing in her life. There's something, a a great hole in her life. She wants to have kids (laughs) and her husband, God bless his heart. He tries, but check it out. Verse eight, her husband, Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you, you, why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? And the answer is no. No, you're not worth, I, I love you, but like, that's apples and oranges. Never mind. She's just like, what? whatever, dude. Verse nine. Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up and it gives us a little bit of the context of what was happening in the room. Now, Eli, the priest, remember, this is a festival. They're at this kind of this, ta- it's not a temple at this point. It's probably a tabernacle. It's this tent where, where the Lord dwells and the, the Ark of the Covenant was maybe there. And, and, the, and there's, there's a priest there. And, the, and now Eli, the priest, was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her anguish, again, this, this anguish, this, these tears, right? This bitterness. Hannah prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. Everybody, look at me. Do you know it's okay to weep bitterly before the Lord? Everybody look at me. Did did you know that it's okay to bring your strongest emotions into prayer? Oh, but I don't want to show disrespect. Yeah, it's it's way better to, yeah, because it's way better to, to, you know, be very honest in a prayer versus never pray because you're so mad at God, right? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, like, like what's the, let's call it the lesser of two evils here. Yeah, it'd be great if we always had this pure heart before God, right? But come on. That's not what we have. 
She wept bitterly before the Lord. Our, our hero today, the, the, the woman who's going to show us a picture of what greatness looks like, is so brokenhearted. She's in the temple of the Lord and, and, and weeping bitterly before him. You can do that. We can come before him broken. The Bible makes that so clear. We can bring our, 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 the, the rawest form of our emotion to him in prayer, and he will meet us there. In her deepest ang- in deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. Verse 11, and she made a vow saying, uh, saying Lord Almighty, she, one version is she vowed a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. And no razor will ever be used on his head, which is like, oh, what? Okay, that's weird. Like, what? And what she's doing here, this is something very cultural that you wouldn't understand unless you were part of their Jewish Hebrew culture. What she's referring to, and this is really interesting. I did a little bit of research on this this week. What's really interesting, what she's doing is, and it doesn't say this here, but she's vowing that he will become what's called a Nazarite. It's, it's a person who's dedicated to the Lord, and it could be a male or female. It's in number six. It's when a man or a woman, and what's interesting about this is no, she says no razor will ever be used on his head. There, most of the time, when someone became a Nazarite, it was for a, 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 a purpose and for a time, a period of time, like a, like a window of time. It's not a forever thing. She's like, no, no, no. If you give me a son, he's not even born yet. I will ensure that he was a, be a Nazarite for his, all of his days. And to be a Nazarite meant that no razor would touch your head. And it's like, okay, but why? Like, and and you, honestly, back in those days, that would lead to dreadlocks. I don't know how. Like if you had like hair just grow, like, cause it would just hit the floor. Like you'd have to dread it up. I had dreads once, so I know this. But like, he, so, but, and then you're like, okay, but why that? It was because that's a very, like within a couple of years, people like, you'd walk into a room and people who didn't know, you'd be like, oh dude, that's a Nazarite right there. Look at his hair. Oh, that, she's a Nazarite. Look at her hair, man. It's all dreaded up. It's all, it's down to her butt, you know, or whatever. Like it's, it's, it was, it'd be so atypical that it'd be like people would be like, oh, that must be a, a Nazarite. And that's the purpose. The purpose was for these, these people who took a vow like that to be set apart. The other thing they were supposed to do is not drink alcohol of any kind. It made it very clear in numbers, any vinegars or, you know, like nothing that could possibly have alcohol. And the purpose of that was not because alcohol is bad, but because alcohol, like, like you, you, this has got to be a very sober minded person right? To do the work of the Lord. And then the last one was, what was the last one? Hair, alcohol, and I'll think of the third one in a second. I just had it. Uh, No, dead bodies can never be near a dead body. Even if your mother died, you can't go to the funeral because that would make you unclean. 
And this is a person who's supposed to like, maintain cleanliness. I know these are weird, but it was, the whole point was these are people. And here's the way to look at a Nazarite. So you got, you got people like you got religious leaders within the Hebrew Jewish system. You've got priests, you've got prophets. And those are the kind of the day in, day out. If you put it into like a military uh, um, paradigm, it'd be like the, you know, the priests and the prophets. They're like the, the, the armies and the navies. Okay. These guys were the special forces. The Nazarites were the ones that God called at specific times. So Samson was a Nazarite. He was a guy that that God used to do something very specific against the Philistines. Now, he wasn't a great dude. He didn't fulfill his oath like all that purely, but you know, like like he was he was set apart. He didn't have the hair. He didn't stay away from alcohol. It, it was his downfall. But anyway, like he was supposed to. And it's like, that's the idea. Is he's supposed to be this, this you know, like these are the special forces of like, of like the Bible times. John the Baptist was a Nazarite. He was in the wilderness. He, he looked like, like a crazy man in the wilderness. And, he, and God called him for a special time to just call out the world and say, repent. The time is near. The Messiah is coming. Repent and make your heart ready. It is special. Nazarites were special force type dudes and ladies that were meant to do special things for the Lord. And this is what, now go back to what Hannah is saying. Lord, remember me. Don't forget your servant, but give her a son. And then I will give him to you for all the days of his life. And no razor will ever use, be used on his head. I will set him aside. If you give me this, I will set him aside for you. Verse 12, as she kept on praying to the Lord, as she kept on praying, just pause there. And here's, here's rule number one or principle number one to Hannah's guide of a great life. It's this, stay on your knees. Amidst years and years of trials and struggle, just stay on your knees, keep praying. Stay before the Lord. Don't forsake him, but keep close to him. That's what she did, and her luck's about to change. As she kept praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth, and this is where things get sad. This is where we start to see how fallen Israel's become. Eli is the, the, like, if, if he's not the head priest, he's like one of the chief priests, okay? Check this out. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. That's a, it's a prayer of anguish. It was just, it, she's just praying. She's like, you know, like maybe barely whispering, but just praying with the Lord. Lord. Like, like in one of those moments where she's like, I don't care what other people think. There's other people around, but I'm just before the Lord. I don't care. I might look like an idiot, but I don't care. I'm bringing my, my heart before the Lord, Hannah's having one of those moments. Hannah was praying in her heart. Her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk. Now catch this. The head priest is so, like, like things are so bad in Israel right now. One of the head priests can't tell the difference between somebody who's devoted or drunk. He thinks the latter. Isn't that sad? He doesn't recognize somebody praying their heart out. 
because there's so few people doing it. It's, it's, it's a testimony to how bad Israel is right now and how bad Eli is as well. But like, honestly, it's a testimony. It's, just, it's bad right now. There are very few faithful. He thought she was drunk and said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. Verse 15, I am a woman who's deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Don't you know what that looks like, Eli? Don't take your servant for a wicked woman. I have not, I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. And then this, this, this baffles me too. Eli answers, all right, well, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked him for. What's the problem with this? He has no idea what she's asking him for. What if she's asking him for something evil? This is how, this is how invested he is as a priest at this moment. He's like, ah, whatever, woman. Just, you know, Lord grant your prayer. She's like, sweet. But she could have been asking, like, what if she was praying that he die? That would have been an interesting story. And what if she's praying for something evil? And he's like, ah, I don't care. He's just not invested at all in spiritual things. Verse 18, she said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went on her way and she ate something. Remember, she hasn't been eating at all. Now she's able to eat. This is what I love. This is, this is what, like, the, Hannah's, this is what makes Hannah so great in some senses. Is like, she takes, she takes that information in faith and just believes it. She's like, awesome. I will take that in faith. I will take that. And she, she just eats. She went away and eat something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning, verse 19, they arose and worshiped before the Lord, and they went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel saying, because I asked the Lord for him. And what's cool, this is actually just a note in my study Bible here. The word Samuel in Hebrew sounds like heard by God. It's like the the word Samuel in Hebrew is like the phrase that sounds like heard by God. Isn't that cool? She named him Samuel because I asked the Lord for him. When, Elkanah, when her husband, Elkanah, verse 21, went up with all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go. She's gone every other time, but now she can't, she can't go. She's like, I need to stay home with my baby. I'm going to take care of him. She said to her husband, and this, this is really cool. This is incredible to me. Because remember, this is a very patriarchal society. Women did not have a lot of rights in, in this time. She said to her husband, after the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord and he will live there always. See this? She doesn't ask. (laughs) She says, this is what will happen. After I've weaned him, he's not going to be mine anymore. See, you remember my wish for you? That, that, that at some point in time, that it, it, that at the end of your life, that you would be remembered in greatness. That people remember great things about the, what, some of the great things that you have done in life. And, and 
Honestly, like, I think that that means that throughout your life, you're, 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 you're with the Lord, you're pursuing great things. But I think that also comes down to moments like these where people remember you. Like, I remember when Hannah, the one thing she wanted was, was she wanted a son. And then as soon as she gave God, God a son, she gave him to the Lord. I just imagine that. Like, think of something that you really, truly want right now, that you would actually maybe ask God in prayer for right now. And then when you get it, you give it away. You know, maybe it's not even possible, but you, like, you know what I mean? Like, imagine getting what you were asking for and then saying, okay, Lord, I'm so grateful that you gave it to me. I'm going to give it back to you. That's greatness, isn't it? That makes it for a great story. Just, we had a birthday party a couple of weeks ago for my 10-year-old son. And, and my, my son is highly competitive. And he's, you know, and, and we, oh man, I probably should have thought about this before telling this, but it was a casino poker party for 10-year-old. It was great. But um, we had a, a few of his buddies over and we, I taught them all poker. And this is not sounding any better. But, you know, like I, I told him how to bluff. And, you know, like, you know, half the, half the game is what's in your hand. And half the game is like what you do with your hand kind of thing. It was, it was fun. But there was this prize. There was a drone. Like Titus, instead of uh, spending a bunch of money on like going to the wild game, was like, I want to spend money on prizes for the, the poker party. Like whoever wins in poker wins the prize. And, and I'm like, that's cool, man. This is horrible. But this, it, 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 it's cool, man. And, and, but he's like, I'm going to win that drone. So we bought a drone for the winner. And he's like, I'm going to win that drone. I'm going to win that drone. I was like, well, you know, it is your party. And I'm trying to like steer him, but it's like that. It's a lost cause. He's so competitive. So he wins, partly because he just knew, he knew how to play poker and his other three butters like, what? what's, a, what's a pair, you know? So he wins this poker night. And one of the kids had to go home early because he was sick, which is, you know, like he like must have coughed once. It's COVID. So he's like, oh, we got to get home, you know? Um, and, so, but the, and, and so there's like two boys left, Titus wins, and the guy who got second place, played really well, had never played poker, and Titus is like, hey, I want to give this drone to you. I was like, yeah. Well, then that kid, Caleb's like, oh, no, no, give it to the, he gave it to the brother of the kid who had to go home. Give this to Baxter. See, that's greatness. You know, you, you finally get what you want, and then you give it away. That's what Hannah did. With the very, the, like, like with her life prayer, the very one thing she wanted in her life, she gives it back to the Lord. Isn't that cool? And I love this, what verse 23, Elkanah says this, do what seems best to you. I will allow you to do that, even though it's his son too. It's very much a decision that affects him. Stay here until you've weaned him, only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until he had, she had weaned him. After he, he was weaned, she took the boy with her, uh, young as he was, along with the three-year-old bull and an ephah of flour and a skin of wine. All of these have significance for like a sacrifice to bring before the Lord and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli. Again, here's Eli, this, this 
priest. And, and this, she had to know his character. Everybody, you'll, you'll, next, if you keep reading this, Eli's kind of infamous among the, the Hebrew community. She knows that she's leaving him with a man who's not good, but she's like, no, I'm going to leave. And, and here's how I look at this. I was thinking about this week. Why would she do this? Was she sick? You know, was she, did she have the baby? You're like, you know what? Maybe I don't want to be a parent anymore. Like, I, I like my sleep, you know, or whatever. Like, no, I don't think it was that at all. I think the reason that she wanted to do this was she wanted to give her son the best thing she could give him, a front row seat to what God would do in Israel. And she knew by making him a Nazarite and, and basically leaving him in the care of the temple, that was going to be, it was going to be way better than way back at Ramah where she was living. That, that she, this, this, her child would see more of what, she'd see, he'd see more greatness of what the Lord's doing. He'd have front row seats to what the Lord would do. And this is Samuel. Samuel's the one that walked with Israel through this time where they didn't have a king and they wanted a king and he's like no you don't want a king and there's this really tender moment it's a moment that i've always thought like they've kind of been jealous of it's this moment where where samuel comes before the lord and he's like the israelites want a king they're rejecting you know like 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 why like we shouldn't let them do this and and god says very tenderly to samuel and this is so cool like they're just talking you see this in the book of samuel it's almost like god and samuel are just talking and, and god's like no they're not rejecting you they're rejecting me Give them a king. Her, her son got to see that because of she devoted him to her to God. He got to see. Uh, uh, he got to 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 crown the first king of Israel, Saul. He got to see Saul struggle and had to call out against Saul, prophesy against him, like, "No, don't do this." But then he also got to see David. He he was the one that 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 anointed David king, and got to see David rise. And you get to see David do all those godly things that he did for Israel. He got front row seats because of his mom's devotion. Isn't this a good deep cut? I, I love this. And this brings me to the, to the second point of, of Hannah's guide to a great life. First one, stay on your needs. Second one is be generous towards God. Continue to be generous over and over. Not just in life, not just generally, but generous towards God. Giving back to him what is rightfully his. Be generous towards your, your heart towards God. You know what generous means, right? Generous is just simply doing more than anybody expected you to do. You know what I mean? It, it, it's, it's, it's giving somebody a gift that they didn't see coming because... The, the social norms are like, you don't need to give me a gift. No, I'm going to give it to you anyway. Why? Thank you. Thanks for being so what? Generous. It's a going above and beyond. And here's the deal. Again, this is my prayer for you. I want you to have a great life. I want your life to reflect greatness at the end. People look back at your life and say, they did some great things. Being generous towards God, that's a story. Those are stories worth telling. When we are generous towards God, when we give more than people, no, I like you know, like and that could be money, that can be time. Like, I think time's the most powerful one. Like, no, this is my time. I could do these things, but I'm going to be a young life leader instead. I'm just going to hang out with high school kids all the time. Roy Grossbach, you know, no, I could, I could do this. I could, I could take the time, but I, I, I'm, I'm here to be with you. Wow, 
You don't need to do that. That's very generous of you. This is maybe, this is like a really strong one. You want, you want a great life? Be generous. And, and more specifically, be generous towards God. And your life will be great. Look at verse 27. I prayed for this child. This is Hannah saying. And the Lord has granted me what I asked for him. This, she's talking to uh, Eli right now. So now I give him to the Lord. Not to you, Eli. Give him to the Lord. For his whole life, he will be given over to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. And then Hannah has this prayer. And I want to read through this prayer because it's beautiful. And this is what we're going to kind of close and settle in on this morning. The last, the last principle to Hannah's guide to a great life is, is this. Go ahead and put that up. Remember your roots. I almost put it, make sure to worship. <laughs> because what Hannah does, you'll see this in her song that she's about to sing. She remembers where everything comes from. She remembers that it was the Lord who's given her what she asked for. And she worships him in response. And this is part of what makes her life great. Let's just read this. Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices, not because I have a kid. My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord, my horn is lifted high. And this is such cool imagery. The, the, the ram, she's talking about the ram's horn. The ram's horn in, in Jewish culture, even to, to this day, is a sign of victory. You know, the, it's, it's that thing. It's that big curly thing that they would you know, blow before a battle and especially after a battle if they won. And she's saying, I have won. But it's the Lord who has lifted up my horn and he's lifted it high. This is my day. My suffering is over. I've had a son and I'm giving it back to the Lord. My mouth boasts over my enemies, meaning in this other wife, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like my God. Isn't that cool? Do not keep talking so proudly. Or let your mouth speak so, with, with such arrogance. For the Lord is the God who knows. And by him, deeds are weighed. He knows what's going on. He's watching us. And he, and he has a case of, you know, like people who are doing good. He keeps their case. He's weighing their deeds. The bows of the warrior are broken, verse 4. But those who stumble, I was stumbling for all those years. Now I'm armed with strength. Verse 5. Those who are full hire themselves out for food, but those who are hungry, were hungry, are hungry no more. She who was barren has born seven children. It's like, no, 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 Hannah, you've born one. And she will not, at, at least to our knowledge, she doesn't have any more kids. She's like, yeah, I've only had one, but it feels like seven. Isn't that cool? Isn't that great? But she who has many sons pines away. And then, and then she goes through, like this, the next part of this prayer is all about God's sovereignty. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. 
Skip down to verse uh, 10. It is not by, the str- by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Most High will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah. But the boy ministered before the Lord under Eli the priest. And the story of Samuel begins. Isn't that a great one? Isn't that good? Isn't that the story we want? I want us to reflect back on our own lives. Because here's what I believe. Is it possible that right now that your struggle, what you're struggling with most right now is part of your great story? Is actually could be if, 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 you, if you pull a Hannah and you stay before the Lord and you're generous towards him, and you remember your roots and you worship him. Even here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing about our generosity too. Some of us have had struggle in our lives and, you know, like, and, and we've prayed about it and the Lord answered it and now it's done and we've forgotten, like, we've forgotten him. We forgot that that was a struggle and we're not generous towards him. You know, we haven't reflected it back. Maybe it's time for you to reflect it back and be generous towards him. But I believe that, I believe that no matter what our struggle right now, I don't, I, I, some, I don't believe that God necessarily ordained those struggles, but I do believe he can use them to tell a great story. Some of us truly are in the fight of our lives right now. And the question is, is what will we do during those fights? I believe that these fights, that this is an opportunity for us. And, and the purpose of the story, what I love about the story is it gives us a chance. We know that good things are going to happen to Hannah, right? And I believe that if you stay faithful, that you'll come out of the other side and there'll be greatness to tell of on the other side. I believe that with all of my heart because of stories like this, stories in my own life, stories in your life that I know of where God came through. When the struggle, even when the struggle was real. It makes you think of like Frodo or like Harry Potter. You know, like those long movies where the struggle is just like drawn out, right? And it's like, oh, you, want, you wish for Frodo. Like some sort of, you know, like, like, like some sort of uplifting thing for Frodo to happen, right? But you know in the end, oh, he needs to carry that ring. I think the same is true for us. We, we, we admire the greatness of stories that, that come out, of, the greatness that comes out of stories like that. But let's not forget that through that struggle, that's, that, that same greatness could be, be building in our own story for those who, of us who will stay on our knees be generous towards God and worship him when the time comes. Give him all the glory and the praise. That is Hannah's guide to a great life. You can do that. We can do that. We, we, can, we can stand on these. I love that. Let me pray.